The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. The Freeman Report on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hello again and welcome to the Freeman Report. My name is James Freeman. I'm a former member of the European Parliament, if you didn't know already. And this is my weekday show where I break down the big issues of our time in our fight for freedom, liberty and justice. Definitely justice. It is Thursday, the 4th of January, 2024. And on today's show, I'm delighted that Dr. Tess Laurie will be joining me to talk about what the World Council for Health is doing to counter the centralised corporate-funded approach of the UN and the World Health Organization. Tess was my first ever guest on the Freeman Report last January, just one year ago, um, and she's um, she's been on the show several times since. However, this is only the second time where I've had the honour of having Tess on for the full show, so I'm really excited about today's show. And as I've said many times before, I have immense respect for Tess and everything that she's done to help create the foundations in the freedom movement globally that many of us now stand on. Prior to the COVID era, Tess worked as a consultant for the World Health Organization, providing research on new drugs. Then when COVID came along, Tess came across lots of evidence and research from different parts of the world showing that ivermectin is an effective early treatment for COVID. Now, what Tess didn't realise at the time is that in order for Western governments to be able to get emergency licensing for their new experimental injections, there could not be any alternative treatments on the market. If governments had acknowledged the presence of effective treatments, they would not have been able to push what was untested experimental new technology on their populations. The legislation on this is clear for good reason, because the risks involved in experimenting on entire populations mean that this route should only be an absolute last resort in an emergency when no other alternatives are available. Now, if you ask most people what they thought they were taking at the time, most would repeat the mantra that was being pushed by governments and the media at the time, that the development of the COVID vaccines was a miracle of ingenuity and collaboration to develop and test a new drug in a matter of months instead of eight to 10 years that it normally takes. The public were told the injections were safe and effective and that they were the only route out of lockdowns and restrictions. Now, at the time, Tess had no idea what she was walking into when she wrote to the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson and the Minister for Health to highlight research suggesting that ivermectin was an effective early treatment. Tess wasn't just any doctor writing to the UK government either. This was exactly the type of work that she'd been doing for the World Health Organization. She was a world expert in her field. But Tess was ignored by ministers and uh, the review of the research that she was involved in for the World Health Organization ended up being scuppered by big pharma links. Dr. Andrew Hill, who was writing the paper on ivermectin with Tess for the World Health Organization, suddenly changed his conclusions at the last minute. 
Now, Tess went on to record um, a meeting with Dr. Andrew Hill, which you can watch online. Just Google it or search it in um, on, on YouTube. Um, and in this in this meeting, um, Dr. Andrew Hill admitted that an organization called Unitaid had contributed to the conclusions at the last minute, which were totally different to the conclusions that Andrew and Tess had come to previously. Dr. Andrews Hill's department at the University of Liverpool then went on to get a multi-million pound grant from entities linked to Big Pharma. There is no direct evidence that the two things are linked, but it does seem very suspicious in my eyes. Now, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation were also involved in funding a large study into the effectiveness of ivermectin that many leading experts say was set up to fail from the start. Not surprising, again, really, given that Bill Gates has massive investments in mRNA vaccines. If ivermectin had been shown to be effective, even just slightly effective, there could have been no justification in pushing the experimental new treatment on billions around the world. An experimental new treatment that made investors like Bill Gates billions of dollars. And of course, there is the now infamous CNN interview with Bill Gates in Davos, where he couldn't help himself from bragging at how his investments in vaccines had given him a 20 to 1 return on the $10 billion that he, he had invested. Now, I find it absolutely astonishing that we know so much about the global money trail surrounding these new products, and yet our governments stay silent. For starters, we know that when you combine the donations of Gavi and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to the WHO, both organizations that Gates set up, when you combine these donations, it makes Gates the largest individual donor to the World Health Organization. An organization that has moved away from its traditional work in recent years of providing clean drinking water and other schemes to improve health around the world. A move away from this type of work towards collaboration with Big Pharma to push new drugs and vaccines on populations around the world. I really do find it shocking that a UN organisation um, is allowed to cosy up to those with private interests in new drugs while helping to push those very same new drugs on unsuspecting populations. How can it be right that two-thirds of the funding for the World Health Organization, which is a United Nations organization, now comes from private sources, so-called NGOs and corporations. But it gets worse, because not only is the WHO entwined with the very entities that stand to gain financially from the products that it now pushes, not only do we know this, but we're now also aware of advanced plans to give the WHO legal powers over member states, 194 of them, to mandate health policies in the event of another WHO self-declared pandemic. The corruption involved in all of this is absolutely staggering. Entities so powerful that they can capture governments and steer an agenda that poses a grave threat to the whole world. And this is the fight that Tess and the World Council for Health that she went on to create is now engaged in. 
It is a modern day tale of David and Goliath. And while there are many organizations fighting this global pharma takeover, the World Council for Health is one of only of a few organizations that has its ambitions set on providing an alternative to the centralized corrupt approach advocated by the WHO. I'm therefore honored that Tess will be joining us in a moment to talk all about this and share her vision of what global health should look like. If you want to get in touch, then as always, email me at jamesfreeman at tntradio.live. And if you want to get involved in the conversation, and I definitely encourage you to do that, get yourself over to tntradio.live and click on the chat icon. My name is James Freeman, and this is the Freeman Report for today's News Talk TNT Radio. Going 360 on the headlines. It's really well-balanced conversation. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hello, Gemma. How are you doing today? Yes, very good, James. Very good. I mean, it's amazing you've got Dr. Tessa Laurie on because before I was lucky enough to join TNT, I was very lucky that I worked for a good few months last year for the World Council for Health or with the World Council for Health, should I say, because it's a very different approach to, to the office environment. You work collaboratively and not in a kind of pyramidal structure. And it was among the happiest um, months of my working career and a massive honor. And, and it's Dr. Tessa and all the team at the World Council for Health, and that includes all the different country councils around the world that have now sprung up as a result of the work done. You know, my hat goes off to them. That the work that goes on within that organisation is just astounding. Yeah, and of course, you know, Gemma, that I um, have done work with the with the World Council for Health. I mean, even though I don't work directly with them anymore, I do still kind of see myself as as one of them. You know, I um, definitely advocate for them um, and their global mission. And I'm absolutely astonished at what they've actually achieved because it is still a fairly young um, organization, isn't it? It is, but one that has sprung up out of utmost necessity. Uh, and I love the analogy, the David and Goliath analogy. And I think that's where we all are uh, still. I was talking with Rick Munn an hour ago on Locked and Loaded. We're talking about the, the, the German farmers and the protests that are likely there, whereas people rise up against the system and say, we're not having this. You can't do this to us uh, just because you think you hold a, some kind of position or power of authority over us. We're not having it. And this is, a, this is another example. It is an example of how we build the new. I really, truly believe that yeah and that's the important thing here isn't it because there there are lots of organizations which are pushing back against these things you know petitions um organizations of various um types um you know and there's there's protests and things but it's all very well pushing back and it is very important that we do that of course but we need an alternative you can't just push back constantly you've got to set out what it is that we want to do different and lay that path. And that is exactly what the World Council for Health is doing. Right, Gemma, what um, what story have you got for us today? Well, it's quite pertinent, really, because, you know, you're talking about the the, the draconian measures that were imposed on us and, and the corruption within Big Pharma and how the World Health Organization is seeking, you know, this to one size fits all global narrative of control in the future, possibly with any future pandemics. Um, but uh, we've been hearing a lot in the UK recently uh, over winter, you know, about new variants and COVID is back and you know, long COVID is back, all kinds of stuff like that. But actually, you know, it seems that it might not be that difficult to get the world to form into lockstep again, uh, you know, should something like this be thrust upon us? Because I just did a quick uh, search as to if other countries are kind of taking this moral panic about new variants. And it actually looks like 
it's worth in a lot of places. Just for example, Cyprus decided yesterday, the health authorities and government decided yesterday that they're going to bring back uh, masks and tests to um, nursing homes, hospitals, uh, clinics, dentists, and areas where vulnerable people use the facilities. It was decided yesterday it's going to be ratified today. So that will be applicable in all of those areas. Masks and PCR tests are back. Um, in India, uh, mask wearing is now mandatory in the lay district, which uh, affects tens of thousands of people. Um, it, it, all public places, including workspaces and offices, public transport, and they're bringing back social distancing to cope with COVID cases. Guess how many COVID cases? 11, you know, but they're panicking. They're panicking. Um, and also Karnakta uh, last year, just before Christmas, made over uh, all the over 60s uh, mandatory mask wearing for them. That's another province in India. In America, hospitals in LA, Massachusetts and New York all now require masks. Uh, they're blaming COVID and the flu. Well, I really, you can't tell them apart. They're one and the same thing. We all know that. Um, and also in, in the UK, uh, all these warnings of new variants, new variants. I and mean, when we know that hospitals in the UK have been asking people to wear masks since last year. It's just a request at the moment, but I would imagine it's get probably quite difficult to get into a hospital now without one. And I've just read a headline that uh, in Swansea Hospital, in your neck of the woods in Wales, they've now banned visitors completely due to uh, COVID and the norovirus, they're saying, but COVID is at the top of the list. They're saying, no, you can't come in to see your loved ones. This has shades of a few years ago. Uh, interestingly, I had a quick look on social media and a lot of people are saying, yeah, good luck with that. I wonder how many people now will be happy to leave their relatives languishing in hospital uh, now that we know what we know about the last few years. It'd be interesting to see whether mm. there is a kickback. Yeah, um, but you know, I had a quick look and it, it, around the world, there is this global picture of tests and mask mandates and social distancing all coming back. I hope and pray that it doesn't catch on. Um, I did have to take my dog to the vet last night, uh, as we were just discussing before we went on air. And uh, I walked into the waiting room and lo and behold, look what I saw, somebody masked up. Uh, I, I nearly said something. I thought, no, no, leave it, Gem. I, the dog is more important. She's not very well. But I was shocked. Uh, I thought, here we go. Or do we? That's the question. Have enough people seen the light and we're not going to take go down this road no matter what so-called authorities tell us yeah i mean look this is ridiculous isn't it i mean e even the covid inquiry in the uk which is uncovered diddly squat um it's not intended to um, uncover and answer the questions that all of us want answers to um but even they have acknowledged the fact that there's no research supporting mask wearing by the general public particularly the blue masks that everyone seems to wear and i'm assuming these are the types of masks that are being used in India and, and elsewhere. I mean, the truth of it is, if you've got an N95 mask and you use it properly, yes, they work. But um, as John Jonathan Van Tam, um, the former deputy, um, um, uh, what was he, the chief medical officer, deputy chief medical officer, stood up in Downing Street and said he'd been studying it for 15 years there is no evidence whatsoever that getting the general public to wear masks works because we all know what happens. You know, to use masks properly, you need to use the right type of mask, which are really expensive. You need to take them on, put them on and take them off properly. You need to dispose of them um, after use each time. And what happens with the general public? Well, they, they have these dirty rags which are kept in their pocket and they're only brought out because they're told they have to wear a mask. They do absolutely nothing. And if anything, you know, when they were mandating them in schools here for secondary schools, you know, you had these kids 
and they would all be playing around with them, putting them in their pockets, sneezing on them and all this. And you just think, surely that's a health risk, isn't it? Carrying these disease little rags around with them. I mean, it just doesn't work. And like I said, the, the UK um, COVID inquiries has acknowledged this. It just seems incredible that governments are still mandating this nonsense. It does. That's what seems incredible to me, that governments are mandating it once again. Like I say, Cyprus decided yesterday it's going to be ratified today. That's pretty quick. 24-hour turnaround, you know, and that's masks and tests, tests as well. The dreaded test, the thing that this whole scam hinges on. Um, but in, in nursing homes, hospitals, clinics, dentists and areas with vulnerable people, that's quite a lot of public spaces. Um, and they're bringing it back. India is bringing it back. The USA is bringing mask mandates back. People are being requested to wear masks in hospitals here and one hospital as i said in wales banning visitors it's all got shades of the last few mm. years what will be interesting to see is who's going to do it and who's not going to do it and the proportion and percentage of people who now go the other way uh, to what they might have done a few years ago and did what they were told now go now nah, i'm not going to do that thank you very much that's what we need to watch governments can say what they like it's whether people do yeah. it that's what counts well i know what i'll be doing i mean the first time around um the lockdowns um i've got one of these um, you know, the sunflower um, green lanyards, um, which basically kind of suggests that you've got a hidden disability, just because I couldn't be bothered having an argument every time I went to the supermarket or a petrol station or whatever. I just, I can't be bothered arguing with people about whether you're supposed to be wearing a mask. So you wear one of them and people just leave you alone. But if they ever try and bring it back this time, I'm going to have an argument. And if they want to arrest me, then so be it. Because most of the fines, if not all of them from that time around, have been thrown out. There is no law that they can use which forces you to wear masks. Because if you look at the legislation, it is actually self, um, you know, you 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 self-diagnose the exemptions. So, you know, you can just self-diagnose yourself and say, I don't need to wear a mask. And yes, okay, the police might be unlawful in arresting you, but it all gets thrown out anyway. And I think it's really important this time around that we do all have those arguments with those stupid people in the supermarkets that just go along with it. And, um, you know, in restaurants and everything else, we do need to have those arguments because if enough of us push back, then the whole thing will just go away. Indeed. Well said. Right. Thank you very much, Gemma. God, isn't this week flying? It's Friday already tomorrow. So um, oh, I'm looking forward to this weekend. I'm getting some rest because I'm still not 100% yet. Um, well, yet. So um, yeah, definitely looking forward to this weekend. But um, speak to you again tomorrow, Gemma. No, I'm off right, tomorrow, James. To I'll the... see you on Monday. I'll see you on Monday. Uh, okay. <laughs> see you on Monday. Have a great weekend, Gemma. Thank you, Gemma. Right, to the rest of you, don't go anywhere because after this short break, I will be welcoming back Dr. Tess Laurie from the World Council for Health to the Freeman Report. So stay tuned with me, James Freeman, to today's news talk, TNT. TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. 13 Israeli hostages released uh, as part of that ceasefire deal uh, 49 days after they were taken hostage. 49 days. So that still leaves about 225 to 227 more hostages. Uh, I'm with John Bolton, the former National Security Advisor to Donald Trump. I'm with Britt Hume of, uh, of Fox News. I'm with a bunch of other people who say this gives Hamas too much time to do whatever they want to do, to do whatever they need to do, to regroup, to rearm, to re-strategize. And as much as you want the hostages back, it can't be at the expense of the other part of the mission, which 
which is to destroy Hamas. So I think it's a mistake. Steve Malzberg on TNT Radio. When you can point me to an industry, to a platform that reaches 250 million people a month, virtually nine out of 10 Americans, that's real, that's substantive, that's important. And that reach and that touch point and that daily reinforcement, it's an amazing place to be able to communicate messages. That's massive. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Are we on the air? Am I on the air? You're on the air. On the air 24-7, your news talk giant. TNT. Right then, it has been a year um, since I launched the Freeman Report here on TNT. And my very first guest was actually Dr. Tess Laurie. And um, Tess, can you believe that it's two years ago nearly, I think it was February, when I first met you in Bath and I interviewed you um, for my own channel on YouTube. Um, doesn't time fly, Tess? Absolutely. I mean, in many ways, it feels like a lifetime ago. But on the other hand, uh, uh, just the blink of an eye, time does seem to be flying uh, and um, we need to move with it. <laughs> Yeah, we definitely do. Now, Tess, you've obviously been, like many of us, have been on a huge journey over the last four years. Um, so before we get into our discussion, I just want to take you back. Um, there's a video of you from um, 2021, I think it's from April, where you're giving evidence on Ivermectin. So Studio, please, can we play that video? The story of Ivermectin shows that we, as a public, have misplaced our trust in the authorities and have underestimated the extent to which money and power corrupts. Had ivermectin been employed in 2020, when medical colleagues around the world first alerted the authorities to its efficacy, millions of lives could have been saved, and the pandemic with all of the associated suffering and loss brought to a rapid and timely end. Since then, hundreds of millions of people have been involved in the largest medical experiment in human history, mass vaccination with an unproven novel therapy. Hundreds of billions will be made by Big Pharma and paid for by the public. With politicians and other non-medical individuals dictating to us what we are allowed to prescribe to the ill, we as doctors have been put in a position such that the ability, our ability to uphold our Hippocratic Oath is under attack. At this fateful juncture, we must therefore choose Will we continue to be held ransom by corrupt organizations, health authorities, big pharma, and billionaire sociopaths? Or will we do our moral and professional duty to do no harm and always do the best for those in our care? The latter includes urgently reaching out to colleagues around the world to discuss which of our tried and tested safe older medicines can be used against COVID holding medical forums free of conflict of interest like this one, and banding together as health professionals to stand up to the medical tyranny that has been imposed on us and the public over the past year. To this end, I suggest we form a new World Health Organization, a health organization that represents the interests and well-being of the people, not corporations and billionaires, an organization focused on optimizing human health and potential not contraception and population control, but people-centered organization. 
And never before has our role as doctors been more important because never before have we been complicit in potentially causing so much harm. I ask all doctors here today to look into their hearts and remember their oath so that we can move forward united in the protection of those we serve and with the greatest of courage. Thank you. Right, Natessa, I've watched that a few times um, over the last day. It did take me back um, to that time, that period in time. But you do actually look very, very emotional. And, and you know, people will have heard if their people are listening and not watching, they'll have heard the long pauses. And if you look carefully, you can see how emotional um, you were. And of course, this is just before you set up for the World Council for Health. Tell us about that period in time and what actually were your motivations for setting up um, the World Council for Health? Thanks, James. Yeah, it's quite emotional actually watching it again, because uh, I remember that feeling of of uh, absolute horror at what was unfolding and feeling powerless to do anything about it because nobody was listening. Nobody was listening to the fact that there was early treatment available. Uh, and that was that speech was the closing speech at the International Ivermectin for COVID conference, which was the first uh, international medical conference during COVID. Um, it was held online and it's still available online if you go onto the bird bird-group uk um bird-group.org uh, website so that was the the moment when uh, i realized we really had to do something and and uh, it it was really an ideal you know we needed to set up a new organization but I, at the time i can't say that i really thought that I would be involved in that, you know, it was, we needed this, we needed an organization that was for the people that had no conflicts of interest, that wasn't just going to promote uh, novel injections, um, and that wasn't corrupt, that was transparent and, and so on. Um, but I, yeah, as I say, I didn't really think that I would be involved. Um, the, the, you know, preceding that, that conference was in April 2021. But it was in January 2021 that I became aware of this, the extent of the corruption around ivermectin and the way that this safe old medicine was being suppressed and withheld from the public so that these uh, the COVID-19 injections could be rolled out at great cost, you know, as, as said. So um, it was, uh, and, and we'd established this group called BIRD International or BIRD Group, which was the British Ivermectin Recommendation Development Group. And it was this group that was meeting, uh, it, we had, uh, up, I think we had around 30 international partners by the time that conference came around. And we were meeting to discuss the evidence and how to get it out to the public and how to uh, get the authorities to recognize it. And, um, uh, and, uh, and then we realized actually we needed to just get the message to the public. So that was what, um, what came out of that conference was really how do we get the message to the public and uh, and uh, uh, various um, uh, members or leaders representatives from the different organizations that we were already engaged with came forward and we got together and said okay let's form a world council for health so we launched world council for health in the september 2021 and um and with with really simple uh COVID care guide at home guide for for the public and um and yeah and here we are today with, yes. a, with a, a robust organization and it was quite a 
big journey that you went on over quite a short period of time, wasn't it? Because when I interviewed you back in, I think it was February, um, um, yeah, February 2022, I remember then talking with you about, you know, when COVID first hit, you... Um, you thought and you came across ivermectin you, you you know you wrote to the uk prime minister and the health minister and you thought right i've got to get this information in front of them as soon as they see this you know they'll they'll act on it that was kind of your um belief so i guess it's um i, I don't know whether i call it naivety at the time based upon what we know now i guess it was but it was a naivety that we shouldn't have been broken that all of us have, have i think we've experienced that that breaking where we think that the governments are there to protect us and the health organizations in the world are there to protect us instead of what actually we found out um that was one hell of a journey you went on wasn't it yes yeah it was it was uh, as you say i thought it was just a matter of presenting the evidence being heard and of course i have a background working for the world health organization so i was used to that role of presenting evidence being heard and informing the guidelines and and uh, preparing the documents on, with recommendations so it was really um you know an eye-opener to see that nobody wanted to listen nobody wanted to look at this evidence uh, and of course, as a researcher, I was also well aware of the limitations of the research on the novel vaccines because it was a totally um, untested technology. I totally knew there wasn't the evidence, there wasn't the scientific literature to support its use. So I was obviously concerned about that on the one hand and, and watching the databases, the Vigi Access database and seeing the harms escalating uh, uh, like never before. And uh, and then saying, well, there's a safe medicine. We should be using it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, like I I know Tess that you're, you know, you're very emotional about this. This is why you've dropped everything that you were doing beforehand and have focused on this. And and for me as well, you know, that realization and that breakthrough of 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 that painful knowledge of understanding that you know the the organizations you thought they were to protect you are actually just trying to make money out of you and make capital out of you quite an emotional journey right tess we're going to take a quick uh, break uh, uh, yeah go on james i just wanted to say i'm not emotional anymore (laughs) i would just like to say (laughs) you know that was an emotional speech in april 2021 but there's nothing like uh taking control being active standing up for truth and justice uh, and then one feels one can do that quite unemotionally it's it's when one feels powerless and impotent that perhaps one is emotional but now that we have a plan i do not feel emotional uh, in any way uh, i feel rather excited about what the future holds yeah absolutely and i would describe you exactly the same as the way i would describe myself very much a warrior now fighting for truth and justice across the world right we're going to take a quick break now and when we come back tess we're going to talk all about the successes of the world council for health so stay tuned for that in a moment with me james freeman on today's news talk tnt time to read some news tnt radio news matt boyland here with a look at your tnt headlines The first batch of sealed court documents containing the names of dozens of people linked to deceased pedophile Jeffrey Epstein have been made public. The Israeli Defence Force is being sued over its actions during Hamas's October 7 attack on the Supernova Music Festival. And Russia and Ukraine have carried out a major prisoner swap, with each side releasing more than 200 captives, the exchange made possible by the United Arab Emirates. The Common Housefly 
caught in the clutches of the spider's web. Every move it makes just makes matters worse. Then, dinner time. Feast on the captivating stories, videos, and helpful information on our website. Whoa. Dinner's ready. Oh, man. Escape is futile. Just one more video. Get stuck in our web. TNTradio.live. Now, Tess, in the little, um, it's only just over two years since the World Council for Health was um, launched. Um, you've had many successes. I mean, one of them, very, very recent, actually, getting a debate. I think it was the first debate globally in a parliament um, about the WHO and the amendments it's trying to make to the IHR. Um, I guess my question to you is, is what would you attribute it to the success of WCH and what are your plans for 2024? Well, James, we've been the first, you know, we've boldly stood up for truth and justice from the beginning. So we we put out the COVID care guideline that was a first. We held the first in-person Better Way conference where we discussed solutions to the crisis, uh, many crises, the crisis in science, the crisis in health, the crisis in the environment, um, the media, the law, and so on. So, um, you know, that was a first. We were the first to do the pharmacovigilance report on the COVID vaccine harms. Um, that was in June, 2022. Um, we've produced policy briefs which have guided um, many parliaments and, and uh, um, leaders around the world now on what's happening with the WHO monopoly power grab, um, on the effects of unregulated digitalization, on human trafficking. So we really are boldly standing, um, putting our, our um, money where our mouth is, shall we say, and really, um, you know, taking the lead in all of these matters that many people have just been too afraid to discuss. Um, and uh, or to go there and and stand up. So um, we really, and as I say, we were the first to get this debate. So we are are standing up for human rights. We are standing up for health and and um, choice and informed consent. We are standing up for the public, and I think um, uh, being being at the forefront of that has really um, you know why we are so successful. And just to remember, we have no conflicts of interest. We are not funded by Big Pharma. We are not funded by billionaires. We're funded by small donations from the public and from the events that we hold. So um, that is our mandate to keep doing what we're doing. The mandate comes from the public, comes from you who, who are listening. And uh, we, we are grateful, very grateful for that support. And uh, please keep it up. Uh, um, also, if I could say that the ethos of WCH is one of the things that really has um, been been the glue that has uh, and the, and uh, been able to communicate and um, spread our network um, because uh, you know we have the seven principles of the better way, and that's acting in honor and doing no harm. Um, recognizing that we have free will and we are responsible for our choices, that, that we are part of nature, um, we, we work best together, we thrive together, we value different perspectives. Of course, um, uh, technology needs to be used with discernment. So there's a lot of do's that we do and there's, a, there's something that we don't do as well and we don't tolerate the, the violation of human rights. And so, um, so this is, these are the real strengths that put us unique, uh, uniquely at the forefront of, um, uh, of the movement uh, to counter monopoly power. Yeah, exactly. And this is the thing I love about the World Council of Health and what you're doing, Tess, is because 
you know, as I said in my introduction and my conversation with Gemma, there's lots of organizations pushing back against what these organizations and governments are trying to do. And that is really important that we do that. But one of the great things that WCH is doing, and this is what makes it unique, I think, globally, is that you're actually setting out the path, the alternative, um, because it's all very well pushing back, but we've got to have an alternative route that people can be shown and believe in and follow. Now, um, obviously, Tess, you're not the only person in the World Council for Health. You are um, a, a hero and you are definitely one of the true warriors, I think, in the global movement. But there are lots of you on the steering committee, aren't there? And we're going to play a video now um, involving some of those other members. So, Studio, if you can please play the second video. Truth Warriors, and thank, thank you, you for watching, watching this important video. The World Council for Health turned two in September 2023. From a sincere vision to a confident seat link. To an internationally known organization. With partners in over 50 countries. Help us celebrate now. We want to continue our work protecting public health and freedom. And providing you and your family and friends with resources to empower you through challenging times. To do this, we need to raise consistent funds. With your contributions, we have achieved so much. And as we grow with you, we can do even more. Every contribution you made has been and is being invested wisely in strategic and creative activities. With your help, we have created over 500 videos with experts and influencers in health, science, freedom and sovereignty, and over 100 live meetings. Over 150 statements, reports and guides, including our in-depth guide on early COVID-19 treatment, our spike protein detox guide, and our COVID-19 pharmacovigilance report. Two international Better Way conferences, as well as many affiliated conferences and community events. Three policy briefs covering monopoly health, the effect of unregulated digitalization, and human trafficking. Campaigns including Exit the Who, and our latest campaign with Children's Health Defense, The Great Free Set. In addition, we are establishing autonomous country councils and providing support to our partners around the world. To those fighting for humanity in court, we provide expert witness testimonies and affidavits. For those hosting events, we join as informative speakers, international promoters, and so much more. Are you interested in seeing what we have planned for 2024? If you value what we do, we ask that you contribute a value for value contribution. Here are five ways you can celebrate World Council for Health's birthday with us today. First, please become a monthly donor. Monthly donors give our work wings and stability to soar. Second, sign up for our substacks. Third, buy tickets to our live and online events. Fourth, please reach out to us via our Contact Us page to find out more about sponsorship. Fifth, share and promote our content with friends and family. We are creating a better way with you. So if you have any ideas of what you want to see us doing next, get in touch by our website. We welcome your ideas. Help us continue to serve you, the people. We are your warriors for health, truth, and freedom. There is a better way. Thank you. Fantastic. And what a great steering committee team you've got there, Tess. Now, we're going to take a quick break now. Um, but before we go to the break, I do want to just say something because I know that people, um, a lot of people um, in the freedom movement have become quite sceptical of giving money because people talk about controlled opposition and all this other stuff. But look, I've worked with the World Council for Health. I know the great work that you're doing around the world. And look, you know, anybody who is questioning whether we should be giving money to organizations, um, I say this, 
and, and, and that is, you know, we're fighting, the entities we're fighting, like the WHO, the UN, and, uh, and the WEF, and all these other organizations, we can't just fight them as individuals. We need organizations such as the World Health, or, um, the World Council for Health, sorry. We definitely don't need the WHO. We need organizations like the World Council for Health to kind of provide that spearhead um, of all of our energy and all of our resources. Because what the work that Tess is doing, and we'll talk a little bit about that after this break, um, is absolutely fantastic. And they are having a real impact around the world. So please do consider setting up um, a monthly donation. It doesn't have to be um, loads of money. If you can only afford a couple of pounds a month, I would encourage you to do that and support the great work that they're doing. Right, we're going to take a quick break now. And when we come back, we're going to talk about um, what your key message is for 2024, um, Tess, and some of the work that you're doing at the moment. So stay tuned with me, James Freeman, on today's News Talk TNT. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Happy New Year and welcome to 2024. I've got a sneaking suspicion that this is going to be a pivotal year, not just in American history, but in world history. I think that the mask is off. The globalists are going to go all in. They're already manic and in a panic trying to keep Donald Trump off the ballot in a number of states, not because they hate him, because they hate us. They don't want us to have agency and authority to reelect him. They love democracy and sing its paeans until it comes time for we the people to disagree with them. And then it's sit down and shut up, surf. So the mask is off, but we're pushing back. How's it going to end up? I don't know. Are we staring down the barrel of another 1968? Or is this going to be the moment when we finally have a reckoning in some accountability? Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy year. For MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. Hi, I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you out, because only you can prevent wildfires. Hey, Assistant Smokey Bear, call me Papa Bear, because I'm grilling up dinner. <laughs> do you get it? Yes, good job. So, what should I do with all these coals? Don't just toss them out. Put them in a metal container, because those embers can start a wildfire. I understand. The stakes are high. Ha, 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 ha. See, Smokey thinks I'm funny. This is the Freeman Report on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Right, Tess, um, what, what is your key message? Um, obviously, we're in the new year now. What's your key message for 2024? Uh, the key message is working on what has been spoiled. You know, I think we need to recognize that we're all complicit in the state of current affairs through our inertia and uh, indifference to what's been going on. You know, it's, it doesn't affect me, Jack, so, you know, I'll just keep doing what I do. Um, what we need to realize is we are all complicit and we all need to start working little by little to uh, to fix things, to, to, uh, to regenerate our communities, to restore our own health, uh, the health of our children, protect our children, and um, and uh, hold those responsible 
for creating great harm to account, um, bring them to justice. And, and this includes, you know, those on the Epstein list. We've just heard uh, of the Epstein list being released. So uh, those people who've been harming children, um, those responsible for harming uh, humanity through these uh, in inappropriate um, COVID-19 vaccines, um, the, the, the corruption and decay in our governments, all of this need is our work set out for 2024, not ours, ours and yours. We do it all together. So there's no time like the present to do this work and, uh, and we need to really um, end our passivity and really energetically take back uh, our health and our freedom and what it means to be a human being. So no more spoiling. Um, uh, spoiling the very word uh, suggests decay and degeneration. Um, so let's not spoil ourselves anymore. Let's not spoil our boys and girls with great technological advances and too many donuts or donuts. Uh, um, and, uh, and let's get to work little by little, restoring dignity to mankind. Yeah, no, I do love that message. And, you know, um, one of the, the key messages for the Freeman Report is um, fighting for freedom, liberty and justice, because justice is coming. Um, it's only a matter of time. Um, there's lots of things going around, uh, going on around the world. Obviously, Shabnam on the steering committee is involved in court cases in South Africa. There are court cases going on in the US. It's only a matter of time, I believe, before we make a breakthrough. And I think once we do make that breakthrough, um, we'll start to see more breakthroughs around the world. And justice is going to be important because it is part of the, the healing um, process for our organizations and for our governments. We can't start that until we actually acknowledge officially what has actually gone on, the criminal acts which have gone on. Now, um, Tess, I know you've been really, really busy um, over the last year setting up um, country councils across the world. Tell us a little bit about that and, and some of the plans that you've got for 2024. Thanks very much. So, James, I just have to say, you know, the steering committee is the front facing group of uh, of the World Council for Health, but there are many in the team behind. We have various teams, many work streams, and we could easily increase our team by 10 uh, if we receive the funding. So just to say the work is not, you know, we have a lot of people, as you as you obviously can see from the work that we've produced uh, and setting up country councils is no small mission at all. Uh, we've established around 20 so far, um, and uh, these councils meet monthly to share information about to share on uh, on the World Health Organization, to share information on camp health campaigns, uh, and uh, and of course to collaborate in the event of future fakes. Uh, which are, stands for public health emergency of international concern, should they be declared by unelected uh, individuals and uh, organizations. So um, so this work is really uh, uh, the, the, the core focus of our work for 2024. Um, and uh, the and and this requires travel. It requires documents. It requires websites. There are 195 member states that need um, their own country council, and uh, and we are are really um, implementing these as fast as possible because we want 195 countries saying we do not support the World Health Organization as the. Um, as the uh, leader of, um, as the dictator 
of uh, health and sovereignty. So, um, so this is really our core focus, along with um, the work to inform the, the public on how to extract themselves from uh, the the grip of these uh, these globalist organizations uh, we have this uh, campaign called the great free set please check it out the website is thegreatfreeset.org it's it really uh, makes biting breaking down uh, what can be done into bite-sized pieces uh, really helps people um, to see it's not impossible we can do this we just need to take uh, small steps uh, each week or, or fortnight do something that uh, that enables you to take back your power back your your freedom and uh, and stop supporting uh, and giving your attention and your money uh, and time to this uh, this uh, uh, globalist um, call it a minority interest group that seeks to control and enslave us quite frankly I would call them a criminal cabal, Tess, um, but that's just me. But um, listen, Tess, um, people might be watching this and listening to this and thinking, I don't want another global organization. You know, we've already got WHO and there are enough of trouble as it is. But so I think it's worth highlighting how um, the WCH is different. It is very much set up in a decentralized fashion. Explain what that means, Tess. Yes, well, we're a grassroots organization. So we're comprised of more than 220 coalition partners. And they, they go, they range from being organizations focused on health to organizations focused on free press to, um, to organizations concerned about radio frequency radiation and the, the, um, poor regulation of that. So, um, we, we are comprised of a lot of grassroots groups that don't this, that all perhaps have a different focus, but we work together and we, we are united by the fact that we all see a better way for humanity where we, um, where we are healthy, free and sovereign. So this is how we differ. And we, as I say, we take no money from, uh, these, uh, globalists. We, um, we are decentralizing. So we're not a, a hierarchical, um, inst uh, institution. We're a grassroots organization that has partners and has, uh, these country councils that are being established in every country, which are totally autonomous. They do their own policy, um, and they feed back. So it's, it's a, it's how health care and health should work where there's a network of expertise from around the world. And when something goes wrong, we can share that expertise instead of uh, having some dictator telling everybody what we have to do, whether we live in, uh, in Africa, Asia, America, or Europe. So, uh, it's, it's a totally fresh approach. Uh, and it puts, uh, it, the, and the foundation stone and the, the unit, shall we say, of this, um, of this uh, decentralized approach is the individual. So it's the health, uh, of each and every individual that makes a healthy society and health begins with the individual and certainly not uh, with a one size fits all approach, uh, uh, uh rules and regulations and dictate, dictated, dictated, or uh, dictates from, um, the director general of the world health organization. So that is our yeah. approach. Um, and it is quite different. Yeah. It, it, it is very, it, I mean, it's the polar opposite of the WHO. And I think I think it was actually how the WHO was originally formed. It was supposed to be a committee where people come together, autonomous countries and with their own sovereignty come together 
and um, and then they formulate advice which they share amongst each other. But of course, you know, the way the WHO has gone in recent decades, it's become more and more centralised. And of course, now we are looking at this um, power grab going on at the moment where the WHO wants legal powers um, over individual countries to dictate health policies in the event of a pandemic. And, and when I say pandemic, um, in this world that the WHO is trying to create, they can call a pandemic um, independently. In fact, actually, the Director General, Tedros, can call a pandemic. And a good example of this test, and you'll know this well, is during the monkeypox um, um, outbreak recently, um, Tedros has got a committee under him which he, he, you know, he seeks advice from. They all voted against um, it being declared um, a, a disease of public concern. Um, but he overruled them all. And he individually called it a, um, um, I forget the exact term, but he basically said, no, 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 this is a global um, disease of public concern. And so that that's quite frightening um, that one person can have so much power to call a pandemic. And what they're proposing is that then they will have legal powers over the 194 member states. It is quite frightening, isn't it? Um, that prospect, Tess. Yes, well, um it's it's madness really so you know i think we mustn't be frightened by these things we must see it as a, as a signal that we need to do something and i would urge people who um you know who are concerned and are saying oh what can i do and so on to actually just look for example at their own share portfolios uh you know what are you what are you investing your attention in are you actually supporting these supranational organizations that are propping up or influencing the WHO and thereby wishing to take control uh, and form a, 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 a supranational government or new world order. You know, I think people are, are very quick to complain, but in the meantime, are they taking, you know, are they actually profiting from their Pfizer shares and their Lockheed Martin shares? Um, you know, are they uh, looking after their own health, you know, uh, of eating fast foods and, and all that sort of stuff. So we really need to start from ourselves. Health begins with us. And there's many, many things we can do to um, to restore our health and our sovereignty. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and yes, we need to to stand up for truth and justice. We need to stand up against these um, these uh, the, the WHO and uh, and our governments who are complicit and we need to get them um, exiting the who. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Tess, we've got about a minute left. Um, tell us how the different ways that people can support you. I know you were doing a calendar, I think, before Christmas with Bob Moran. Have you still got any of those left that people can buy? And where do they actually go if they want to donate um, a, an amount to you on a monthly basis? Thanks very much. Uh, you know, in actual fact, James, calendars, uh, we're not going to support ourselves on calendars. So <laughs> I can tell you that we get inundated with uh, gratitude and thanks. And if we could transmute that gratitude into the energy that we actually need to run, which is cash, that would be wonderful. And we need people to really think about, as I say, what they are putting their money into and think, can they afford to, to uh, fund us on a monthly basis? Because we have people standing in the wings now that could really help us with our work if we could hire them. Um, you can go to our website uh, and set up a monthly, um, a monthly contribution at worldcouncilofhealth.org. 
and you can support my Substack. The World Council for Health has a Substack um, by um, uh, subscribing to those uh, on a monthly basis. That All that money goes straight into World Council for Health uh, for the work that we're doing. So please do support us. Make it your mission to, to fund us because it's our mission to serve you. Right, you heard it there, ladies and gentlemen. Get yourself over there now.